Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome all of you to the fourth Tuesday Revolutionize Your Retirement Interview with Expert Series to help you create a fulfilling second half of life. I'm Dory Mincer, owner of Revolutionize Retirement and your host for today. So let me tell you a little bit about Nancy and then we'll get started. Nancy Colomer is a semi-retirement coach, speaker, and the author of Second Act Careers, 50 Plus Ways to Profit from Your Passions During Semi-Retirement. She writes a monthly blog for nextavenue.org, which is also syndicated on Forbes.com, and she publishes a free bi-monthly newsletter about Second Act Careers through her website, and her website is mylifestylecareer.com. Last month, she launched a digital toolkit and course for professionals who want to work part-time after retirement, and it's called Design Your Second Act. And the link to the course, and I'll make sure that uh, when the recording sent out, it will be included, but it's uh, second-act-school.teachable.com and then slash p slash work hyphen after hyphen retirement. But again, I'll be sure that, that that link is sent with her website and information that you need to be able to access information after the call. Nancy's in private practice, has been since 1996, and she holds a MS in career development from the College of New Rochelle and a BA in psychology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And today she's going to be focusing on kind of work in the second half of life. And I do want to encourage people to read her book. It's an excellent, excellent book. I was saying at the beginning to Donna that I don't have the book right in front of me because I actually left it in in another home that I have in South Dartmouth. And I don't have it right in front of me, but I can guarantee that it's well worth your reading. So I recommend that you read it. So Nancy, let's get going and maybe tell us a little of what first kind of got you interested in this deal and ultimately why you wrote a book about working after retirement. Sure, and thanks so much for having me, Dorian. I've been a big fan of your interviews, and so it's fun this time around to be a guest rather than just listening in, so thanks. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I I do have the book out, Second Act Careers, and the reason I got interested in that is just going back. When I started out as a career coach in private practice, my focus for the first 15 years or so of my practice was actually working with moms who wanted to work on a flexible basis. And so over the years, I, you know, developed a lot of expertise around how how do you work doing something other than a full-time job? And at the point that my own uh, kids, and I'm, I'm putting quotes around that because they are now close to 30, went off and went to college, I, I decided I was sort of ready to shift my focus, and that was in 2008, and it was when the economy, you know, went, went really downhill, and suddenly I, I was having conversations with lots of my neighbors and friends and colleagues who were in their 50s who were saying, you know, wow, I thought I had saved 
enough for retirement. Now, because of what's happened to my 401k, I'm not so sure. I, I think maybe I'd like to do something on a part-time basis, but boy, I don't know what, what's possible or what that looks like or how I go about making that transition. And so for me, that was when the, you know, light bulb went on and I thought, wow, these are a lot of the same issues that parents who like to work on a flexible basis deal with and maybe it's time to shift my focus. And that was how the book came about. Well, that's interesting that, I mean, it, it, when we talk about transferable interests and transferable skills, it certainly seems like that sort of motivated you into the the book writing of thinking about parents yeah, and yeah. thinking about, you know, retirees. I actually want to start, Absolutely. there's a question. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to um, say that, you know, when yeah. I first told people that I was writing a book about working in retirement, some people said to me, gee, isn't that an oxymoron? I laughed and I said, absolutely. But, you know, the retirement that we grew up with, sort of that model of you work for 40 years, you retire at 65, you claim your pension and Social Security, and then you move to Florida to enjoy 15 years of, of leisure is no longer a reality for most people. And people are living longer in general. They haven't saved enough for retirement. And I think most importantly, people want to remain active and engaged in contributing. And with retirements now lasting 25 plus years, that's a lot of hours to fill and a lot of years to fund. So it's an important topic. No, it really is. And I I think people say that if people actually did totally retire at the traditional age of 62 or 65, given how long you know, the expectation is that people are going to live, that there may be longer, you know, kind of post-retirement years than pre-retirement years in terms of the yeah, workforce. That, so it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of years, a lot of years, right. Absolutely. So, so do you find, do most people stick with their own line of work, the, the you know, what they were doing, or do they pivot to new interests and hobbies? What's What's been your experience with that? Yeah, well, you know, in truth, there aren't any really solid statistics on this, but certainly my sense of it is that most people continue to do something related to their old line of work. And that makes sense because that's where people have built up their expertise. That's where they have their contacts. And oftentimes that is where they'll enjoy the greatest earning potential. Now, this does not necessarily mean that they continue to do the same thing in the same way that they did before, but they take some of that old expertise and experience and skills and use that as a bridge into their next act. Can you give us some stories about that at all or an example of somebody who made that kind of a shift of using their their skills in a different way? Yeah, sure. You know, I have I have dozens of examples uh, of, of that, and and I'm sure you know pretty much everyone on the call knows someone who has continued to use their expertise, but in a more flexible way. Perhaps they're working as a consultant or teaching. They're an adjunct professor, or they join a board, and and we all know people like that. But where I find it so interesting is when people build on their expertise and then blend it with other interest areas that they've developed over time to create what I call a a much more lifestyle-friendly career. So let me share an example. 
I know of a woman who created a company called Memoirs Plus, and what she does is she interviews people, and she puts together really beautiful books that capture people's life stories and memoirs. And she was uh, neither a writer nor a designer by profession, but her background includes sort of an interesting mix. She started out working as a curator of museums, and then over time, and I'm not quite sure how she ended up making this shift, but she ended up working for a few independent and assisted living facilities working as a recreation director. So two very different types of uh, careers. And when she was working with the seniors, she got involved with helping them tell and write their life stories. And what she realized was that people really enjoyed doing that. And so when she left that job and took a step back and began to reflect on what she personally wanted to do next, she had this love of history. She had this knowledge of sort of curating information, and she had this experience with seniors. And so she pulled it all together into this new business where she, as I said, writes these memoirs and and puts them into beautiful books. And the thing I love about her story is that it's an idea that builds on her background, but it's also a business that has pretty strong profit potential. These books are not cheap. I mean, they, they takes her a long time to do them, <clears throat> and consequently, she, she charges several thousand dollars for them. So it really ends up being the sort of trifecta of what a great semi-retirement option can be, where it builds on your skills and expertise and interests, it's a profitable idea, and it's lifestyle-friendly because she takes on as many projects as she would like at any one time. So I, I think it's a great example. That That is a great example, and it actually ties in. I'm going to bring up one question from one of the participants now, too. Mike from Boston, let me just sort of, because you were just sort of giving an example, and I think basically he'd like some more stories. But he says, I'm sure you would have done this anyway, and I think you did mention, but could you mention that many of us quasi-retirees need to keep working for a combination of reasons? One of the most important is to maintain a standard of living. We need to work for financial reasons, in other words. Maybe you could talk about people taking some chances that they were too afraid to take when they were younger and maybe ways in which they experimented until they got their new career or business right. He said those stories might be inspirational. I mean, this woman is, I think, a nice example of doing that, but I wonder if, you know, you might be able to share a few other stories, too, of maybe people sure. who yeah, let me- really take risks on that. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let me share one of my uh, favorite stories from the book. And I think it's it's a great example of someone who actually builds on their old profession and takes a risk and has found something that, again, has proven to be a profitable option. And believe it or not, the story is about somebody who was a rabbi-turned-comedian. Now, people always chuckle when they first hear that, but 
it was very interesting in interviewing him. He was someone, he was a, a pulpit rabbi. He had a congregation down in Philadelphia, but he really was ready to do something, something different. He, 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 he and his wife actually owned uh, some property up in, in Dorset, Vermont. They wanted to be able to spend more time there. And of course, as a rabbi, you know, you end up, it's very hard to get away on the weekends, obviously. So anyway, he uh, decided what he was going to do was he was sort of ready to give up the congregation and and he thought he would continue on as a rabbi who did you know bar and bar mitzvah lessons and and did some officiating at funerals and 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 lots of people make you know can can make money doing that and then as a total lark he happened to be reading the local Philadelphia Jewish newspaper and saw an ad that there was going to be a contest for Philadelphia's funniest, I think it was Jewish comedian. And he, people had always told him that he was very funny, his sermons were funny, and he thought, what the heck? He ended up entering the contest. He came in second. Anyway, long story short, he ended up pursuing a career in comedy. He took some took some classes. And what is was very interesting to me when I interviewed him was I said, gee, you know, some people are going to hear this story and think you're talking about two different worlds. And he said, not at all. He said, first of all, he said, Part of the reason I became a rabbi is I just wanted to make people happier and and to find comfort in difficult situations. He said there were people. He he made some CDs. That, one one gentleman wrote to me and he said, when my wife was going through chemo, the one thing that kept her spirits up was listening to your CD. And he said to me, that's doing God's work. And what's really interesting about the story is he ended up teaming up with, and this sounds like a, the, the sounds like a, a joke, but with a Southern Baptist minister and a Muslim cleric, and the three of them teamed up to produce something called the Laugh in Peace Tour, and they toured together at college campuses. And he said to me, you know, when we do our, you know, when, when we have our events and I look at it in the audience and I see uh, a student with a yarmulke sitting next to somebody with a, a hijab on, he said, I'm doing God's work as well. So I think it's a great illustration. Um, and he's book solid. He's, he's making very, 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 very good income. And so, you know, obviously most of the people on the call are, are not rabbis and they're not looking to become comedians. But I think the lesson from this is to really think about what speaks to you about your work. And sometimes with just being able to take a little bit of a, a leap or sometimes a pretty big leap of faith, it can result in some pretty interesting and exciting new possibilities. That's a, that's a great example. What's a, so? Is, is there a YouTube of his the Laugh in Peace tour? Is that what? You yeah, if you called? look him up, his name is <laughs> Rabbi Bob Alper, A L P E R, and I oh. think anyway, Google it. I don't remember his, his yeah. exact website, great. but yeah, the Laugh in Peace tour has been. I know it was on CBS, and it's been featured uh, in some yeah. other uh, big media oh. outlets. That's great. Any other another story of? You know, somebody who really took a risk, because this does sound like you know, going from rabbi to comedian, although I love right. his kind of story about it still doing God's work from, you know, his perspective. 
Um, right, right. Yeah, well, it's a, a different type of thing. But another woman in my book is a woman named Eve Young. And Eve is doing two different things. She is working as what is called a celebrant. And celebrants are people who help celebrate life milestone events. So they officiate at weddings and funerals and even get involved with things like adoption ceremonies or even divorce ceremonies or I recovered from cancer ceremonies. I mean, they, they get hired to do different life cycle events. And believe it or not, there's something called the, the Celebrant Foundation, and it's a pretty rigorous training program. It's a nine-month training program. So she did that, but the other uh, interesting part of what she does is she works as an acting extra. And she had absolutely no background as an actress, but she one day was flipping through, again, flipping through the local paper. It was amazing how many stories I heard that, that you know, the, the spark happened from just a random ad in the paper. She saw a little ad that they were looking for acting extras for, remember, the TV show Ugly. So she went down and she worked as an acting extra. And she said she didn't earn much money. I think it was about $150 for the day. But it was a lot of fun. She met interesting mm-hmm. people. And so she decided to do some more of those. And I said to her, you know, isn't it hard to be somebody who's in your 60s doing this? And she said, you know, actually quite the opposite. She said there are thousands of blonde 20-somethings who are trying to break into this work. She happens to be African-American. She said, do you know how many people are looking for people in their 60s, African-American? You know, think about any TV show, movie that you watch. They're looking for diversity of people in the background. So she has pretty constant work. And what's interesting in her case is, again, she really didn't have any direct interest in acting, but the more time she spent on these sets, she thought, you know, this is actually sort of fun. She has since taken some acting lessons. Her goal at the time I spoke with her was to get just a, a regular bit part on a show. But but through her contacts, it also led to some pretty lucrative print work. And so she did some print advertising as well. And so I think, you know, her story, again, highlights you never know until you try things. And the other thing is once you're out and you're doing things, oftentimes one thing leads to the next, and and that's when opportunity happens. And it sounds like the examples you're giving, it's just, it's something that really helps make someone feel very alive, you know, kind of, it really is their passion. And even if they didn't know that it was their passion, it becomes it, it sounds like, the comedy, the acting, it's like opening yeah. opening oneself to possibility is what I'm hearing in your your examples. Right, right. And you just, you know, there are so many interesting, like I said, I could go on all day with the the stories, but there are lots of possibilities out there. You know, I happened to be a few summers ago, we were out in the uh, national parks and we were out in Yellowstone. And that that's an example that national parks hire people to work at the parks between May and October. Now, traditionally, we think of the national parks as, you know, it's college student territory. Well, that's true. However, college students go back to school in August, and the parks still need staff between uh, August to October or from May to June. 
And so there again, as an example, we were out in Yellowstone. We took a tour of the Old Faithful Inn. The woman who led the tour was a retired school teacher. And so I got to chatting with her. And, of course, I, I, I do this all the time. I say to people, well, how did you end up working here? And she said to me, you know, I am a teacher by training, so the idea of leading tour groups was very natural for me. She had taught middle school, and she said, of course, the difference now is people are really polite and they're interested in what I have to say. And her <laughs> husband, who also had been a school teacher, he worked in the park as well, giving tours, nature tours on the outside. Mm. So they lived for free in the parks between May and October. They got paid an hourly rate. She made tips, and then they would go back home to Texas. They had had some part-time work during the rest of the year doing some consulting with the textbook company, and they were absolutely loving it. And she said, you know, we it, it is such a, a precious time for us to have several months in the national parks, and we get to hike, and I get to meet interesting people, and they were having the time of their lives. Hmm. Another really great example. So what, what are, I mean, have... What are the most popular categories of second act careers? Yeah, so we've talked about doing something connected to what you did before. And, and again, you know, no no firm stats on this, but certainly just anecdotally, I would say that's the largest bucket. People who who either consult or they do project work. And, you know, these days there are so many different platforms and services and temp agencies that you can do work on a freelance or temp or contract basis. So certainly that's the largest category. I'd say the next probably big biggest category is what we call encore careers, which is an encore or second acts for the greater good. So those are people who do things like they become teachers or work for a nonprofit. It it could even be people who go to work for the Peace Corps. I actually, you and I were chatting about this the other day, Dorian, but my brother, who used to work for Duke University and took it retired in his early 60s, and he and his wife this week are finishing up their Peace Corps tour of duty in Moldova. And, you know, not for everyone. It was a 27-month commitment. It's been a great experience for them. But they, and while they've been in the Peace Corps, they get paid a small stipend, but their health insurance is totally taken care of. They've had really interesting experiences. And for them, it was a great solution. People don't realize that it's, I believe it's 7% of Peace Corps volunteers are over the age of 50. So those are encore careers. And then I'd say the next largest category of careers are people who figure out ways to um, monetize their hobbies or they do some, something that's passion-related. And the last bucket would be people who really just find a, a, a part-time job or find some sort of part-time work, whether it's uh, working at the local hardware store or dog walking. It's, you know, it's not necessarily about using their expertise or even doing something connected to their hobby. It's about getting out of the house. It's about earning extra money. And they look for, you know, where are the local opportunities in, in the neighborhood? So I'd say those are sort of the four biggest categories. I, I, I'm just trying to think. I think this question would relate 
to what you're talking about now. It's it's a question from Kendall, who's from Arlington, Mass. Okay. So he says, I just came from a wedding at which many older people worked in the trade. The vision of many was to buy an RV and park somewhere in the south with their wives and buddies. Underneath the idea, though, he said he sensed a pain and desperation about no longer working and the identity and social structure that work gave them. And so he wonders, what do you think may be the psychological, emotional hurdles they may face and what frameworks for rethinking their lives might be effective? Yeah, I think that's a great question because the whole issue of identity and losing that identity when you are no longer working, I think, is a very, very important topic. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with a gentleman who is a doctor and he was retiring. And he said to me, you know, I have to admit, I like when I go to a cocktail party and I meet someone and I can introduce myself as Dr. Stevens and people know me in the community as the doctor. And he said, and now that I am no longer going to be practicing, I'm concerned about who am I? And I think a lot of people feel that way. You don't, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to, to have that. A lot of people have their identity tied up with their work. And it's identity, it's the social structure, it's the community. You know, for a lot of people, their workplace and their colleagues are their social net. And so that's why I think it's critically important for people to spend some time on self-reflection to really get in touch with what is it that I want from this next chapter of my life and what are the most important elements that I am looking for? And then you really need to think about, okay, once you, you get, gain clarity around those questions, what are some options that might help to help me continue to feel good about myself in this, in this next chapter? And it's a process. It's a journey. I think it is critically important to have some form of support around you as you go through this because one of the real challenges of this transition is that many times people are doing it completely alone. And when you think back to other major transitions that you go through in life, you know, when you get married, you have your your parents start supporting you and your spouse and there's lots of ritual and structure and support around it. When you graduate from college, you have friends who are going through the same thing. Again, lots of ritual and support and deadlines around it. This transition is is oftentimes people experience a lot of isolation. And so that's where I think finding some sort of community or at least a small group of people with whom you can talk this over and explore possibilities is really critically important. I think countering that isolation and just sort of feeling like, you know, it's going to go downhill rather than having the brainstorming where you begin to feel like, oh, there there are the possibilities. I mean, it's that interesting cusp between despair and feeling like there aren't options to opening to you know, the risk-taking and the sensitize a little bit into Mike's question earlier, too, of just opening to possibilities and maybe thinking, changing the lens and thinking in some different ways about what's possible. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the one of the things that you can do to help that is to get a what I call a sort of daily diet of second act inspiration. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't have to be every day. I mean, if you do it once a week or a couple of times a, a month. But, you know, Doreen, there's there's so much negativity out there around this whole issue of aging and age discrimination. And, you know, people ask me, they say, well, is age discrimination in the workplace real? Yeah, absolutely it is. No disputing that. But the flip side of that is there are a lot of people out there doing some very creative, interesting things who have, they're really, you know, pioneers who have figured out how to approach this next phase of life. And they are, it really becomes a second opportunity for them to explore and try out new things and get involved with the new community. So it can be a very positive transition for people, Mm -hmm. but I think surrounding yourself with with community getting that inspiration so you can just read about what people are doing it's one of the reasons why i love the fact that i write for a site like next avenue because next avenue has stories about people who are doing interesting things and it really just opens up your eyes to the possibilities that are out there right and the website encore.org is also an, another uh, good site with just being able to see sort of some of people's stories and what people have have found for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I mean, I just absolutely love Encore and the work that yeah. they've done and, you know, the, the profiles that they now have on the site where they have dozens and dozens of stories of people who are doing really interesting and innovative things in the Encore space. And what I always say to people about reading these stories is you don't have to – it doesn't matter that what the person does or what the person's background is is different from yours because there are always lessons and strategies that you can extract from those stories that you can apply to your personal situation. That is good advice. Again, it's being open and – you know, sort of recognizing that, you know, somebody else's strategy or success, you know, could be something that you hadn't thought of, but might might be able to work for you. So what, are there myths that you think people have about second act careers? So what, um, what are they or what's, you know, what's the biggest myth or, yeah. Yeah, so, well, a couple of things. One is, I, I mean, I have to admit that the the whole language around second act is, is a little bit squishy. Mm-hmm. I sort of argued with my publisher when they named my book Second Act Careers because, of course, a second act career can be somebody who at age 50 gets laid off from their job and they're still looking mm-hmm. to work a, you know, full-time six-figure paycheck type job. That, that absolutely is a second act. And then a second act in in terms of my world is more people who have retired from the big full-time job, but they're, they're looking for, you know, what's something that I can do that will be engaging and flexible and where I can earn an income as well. So one thing has to do with the, the language around second acts. But another thing is that second act careers, people, particularly in our generation, tend to equate work with a paycheck job. And in actuality, what people tend to do, and you could hear it in some of the stories that I shared, 
people aren't necessarily getting jobs. What they are doing is they are finding opportunities. They are creating side businesses. They are taking advantage of working on on, t- in, on a temporary basis or through project firms. But it's not the steady paycheck job. There, there, you know, some people are doing that. Some people find the part-time job at the local bookstore or at the local hardware store or at the arts community center. And that's a great, you know, situation for them. But the truth of the matter is finding good part-time work, particularly if you're looking for something on a professional basis, can be a real challenge. And increasingly, so increasingly we're seeing people who are working more on a project basis. And also another thing that we see is, before I mentioned the woman, Eve Young, who worked as both an acting extra and as a celebrant. And, And I see that in lots of different situations where people have more than one income stream. They have a portfolio of activities going on. And I think, again, it's important for people to begin to recognize that you may not get that job, the paycheck job that you're looking for, but there's still plenty of ways to earn income outside of that traditional model. And and I think what you're saying is such an important thing for people to keep in mind. And I, you know, I, I can just, I mean, I think about, Carleen McKay, who's spoken, you know, I've interviewed her on this program and, you know, other people who've done, you know, career work as you, who really have talked about just the change in the 21st century that it, it jobs have changed. They're, they're much more, whether it be for an older person or millennials or whomever in between, it's much more project work now. It's not, you know, Jobs aren't forever jobs anymore in the way that they used to be. And I, you know, it sort of sounds like, you know, the Encore Second Act are also similar to that. That it's, you know, as you say, sometimes people expanding their hobbies or doing project work. And it isn't, I don't think it is the full-time positions anymore. Even if, even when people really would like them, it's hard to find them. Right, right. Yeah, it 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 it's true. And there's a lot of, you know, the the whole, you know, so-called gig, gig economy, there are definitely issues and and problems right. associated with it. But for people right. who are looking for flexible work, the good news is becoming increasingly easier to find those opportunities. I recently did a story on Next Avenue where I reviewed a site called Side Hustle dot com spelled side h u s l dot com and it's a fabulous fabulous site it was put together by a woman who kathy christoph who's an investigative journalist by training and what she does is she reviews and gives her opinion on hundreds of the different platforms that are out there so everything from uh, Uber to uh, vacation rental by owner to places where you can sell wedding gowns. So she reviews a variety of different sites where you can, and I, I think her that particular site is especially good because she really helps to suss out who are the good players in this market and who are the ones that you want to steer away from. But it's interesting. You know, I, I interviewed a gentleman not too long ago who had been a vice president for a company, but his passion was always dogs. He loved animals. He had always uh, adopted dogs, and, and he did some fostering of animals. 
And what he does now is he he is a dog walker through Rover.com, which is one of these online platforms. And and the beauty of going through one of these online platforms is they handle the marketing. They're really like an online marketplace where somebody in your area can plug in, you know, looking for a dog sitter in Boston, and they might find your listing on that site. And what he said to me is he was earning about $1,500 a month doing that and really enjoying it. So there's lots of different ways that you can use the increasing number of online platforms and services and and temp agencies. And, you know, by the way, speaking of these temp agencies, there are some agencies out there that actually specialize in seasoned professionals, people who have 30-plus years' experience. So there's a lot of growth in that whole segment of the market. So that ties into a a few questions that I have here. I might as well ask them now. So Penny from New York wants to know what are some credible websites that offer temp work. And Sarah from Woodstock said that she she feels that in your book that there are a lot of – she had given your book to her husband when he was unemployed and over 55 and that it's got wonderful resources. And so the website, another question from Janet, have you seen good examples of virtual support groups that help with this transition? And can you point can you point us toward resources of finding that? Mm-hmm. So question sort of about okay. where to look. What, what, and could you yeah. say again what was the the person who does the review? It, it was not site. Yeah, so that site is is and again you can look up if you if you go to you know if you just plug Nancy Colomer into Next Avenue, yeah. it'll come up with a okay. list of my articles. And so there's uh, but the name of that site is Side Hustle with hustle spelled. H-U-S-L dot com. So it's side, H-U-S-L dot com. So that, so for the first question, and I apologize that I'm not uh, remembering everyone's names here, but the first question, the one about where to look for these temporary opportunities, that is is a great place. Um, Also, I happen to like flexjobs.com. They are a service that you can go to to find flexible opportunities. They do charge a, a small monthly fee to get access to their list. Things. But even if you don't want to be, if you don't want to pay the monthly fee, FlexJobs has a lot of very good content on the site about how to go about finding flexible part-time opportunities. So I think that's a good resource. Another site that's worth a try. There's a, a, a site called Rat race rebellion.com and they are a newsletter and it's free where they publish work work from home opportunities now those tend to be sort of lower cost ones but i know the people who run the site it's you know they do a good job of screening those and then on my website if you go to mylifestylecareer.com you will see under the blog section there is a button for something called 100 plus great second act resources. And as the name implies on that list, I have over 100 different resources, including things like support groups and places that you can look for temporary work and recommended books, et cetera. That's great. 
And you might even, another question from Susan from Los Angeles says, and you may have a resource on this too, she says, even the simplest jobs seem to require advanced variety of computer skills. Do you have any suggestions of the best way to quickly come up to speed? Yeah, so a couple of things, and that's, uh, Susan, I appreciate that question. Glad you brought that up because I, I do think that's a really, really important point is, you know, we, we live in a society where technology has become increasingly prevalent, and so you do need to have some of the, at least the basics. You know, you have to know how to use an Excel spreadsheet and be pre- proficient using Word, and then depending on the job that you're in, you may need to learn a little bit about how to use things like, you know, Twitter, etc. So one of my favorite resources is lynda.com, which is L-Y-N-D-A.com. And Lynda is, and they, they were not too long ago bought by LinkedIn, but they have all sorts of video training on the course. Now, there again, there is a monthly fee for Lynda. However, many library systems now offer lynda.com through their library system. So for, as an example, if I go to my library website, I can access lynda.com for free online using my library account. And that has been increasingly true. And in addition to Linda, there are some other online uh, resources. You know, there are all sorts of what they call MOOCs, uh, massively open, forget what the additional O is, but anyway, they are college classes that you can take for free or at very reduced cost. And then, you know, I want to give a shout out to community colleges because I think community Mm -hmm. colleges are some of the least appreciated and best resources out there for people that are interested in retraining both in technology but also in new skills. And, you know, as an example, the other day I went and had my mammogram done. And again, I got to chatting with the woman. How did she get into doing this? You don't want to meet me on a supermarket line, I can guarantee you. Because um, <laughs> I always ask people about how they got involved. But anyway, her story was she was someone, she was a photographer. Her husband passed away. She was in a position where she really needed to figure out a way to go back to work and get benefits. And healthcare is an area where there is, you know, tremendous need for people. So she went to the local college and she got trained on becoming, you know, giving mammograms. It it took her, I believe it was about a year. It might be slightly longer than that. I'd have to double check. But in any case, it was relatively short-term training. And since then, she's been working at our local hospital and she said to me, you know what, I I haven't looked back. It's been great because I really enjoy now having a place to go every day and having this new career and I get good benefits and it fit what she was looking for. Hmm. That's another great example. So Stuart from Mountain View says, Nancy, how do we find our new next passion to pursue and from which to make a meaningful second act career? I, I personally think this is a really good question because I, I, I do think people often have a hard time choosing what to do next in, mm-hmm. as you call it, semi-retirement. And so maybe tied into Stuart's question of, you know, what suggestions of steps do you have to ease the way to help people figure it out? 
Yeah, yeah. So great question. And in in the digital course that I've just produced, really I have it structured in such a way that I walk people through the three main steps. And the first one, as I mentioned before, is self-reflection, that before you can even begin to explore what's out there, it's so important to think about what is it that you want at this phase in life, what are you looking for in terms of your lifestyle? And then the second piece of that self-reflection question is, what do I love to do, do well, and find most meaningful? Now, those are big questions. They're not the type of thing that you answer in 10 seconds. It takes some reflection. But the really good news here, Dorian, is that one of the advantages of being over 50 is you have a tremendous amount of data that you can pull from by reflecting back on your life experiences and accomplishments and also things that didn't go so well, quite frankly, to get a sense of of what it is that you really do well and enjoy doing, and at this point in your life, what's most important to you in in terms of values. So that's the the first step. After you've had a chance to think about that, that's not necessarily going to give you the answer. You'll have a better sense of who you are, but then you have to match that with what's out there. And as I was saying before, the reality is that there's a lot of possibilities out there which people don't even realize. And so it's so important to really make it a point to read stories of people who are doing interesting things and to consciously pay attention when, and and the stories are out there all all over the media, but if you're not really looking for it, you're probably not going to notice it. And you can begin to explore and, and see what are some possibilities that are out there. And one of the things I think you'll discover as you begin to explore is that there are all sorts of training programs out there for that can help you very quickly and oftentimes for very little money get the additional skills or accreditation or certification that you need to segue into something new. And when I say, you know, there's a training program for everything, I'm not kidding. I mean, when I was researching the book, I, I sort of chuckled when I came across a three-day dog certification, dog walking certification program. <laughs> And, you know, at first I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But in truth, if if you're thinking about becoming a dog walker, it, it's not that you have to learn how to, you know, get the dog on the leash. It's it's all the other questions. How do you, you know, what do you need for insurance? How do you market your business? Where do you turn to get information about pricing, et cetera? And so there are all sorts of, of training programs. There are all sorts of industry associations that can help you get up to speed on, on new things. And then the third step in the process is to really begin to test things out in small ways to see if the idea that you have in mind really matches up to what you think it will be. And so you can take a class or a workshop. You might consider going out to a conference and spending a couple of days in that new world. That's what one of the women who I interviewed for my book, she was someone who was in PR. She heard about people who work as senior move managers. Senior move managers are people who help people downsize out of their forever homes into uh, apartments or assisted living type facilities. 
And she thought, hmm, that might be a good match for, for my skills. She had personally moved many, many times and had organized the white elephant sale at her church. And, and so she was good at a lot of the skills needed for that. And so she literally hopped on a plane and went out to a conference of senior move managers. And she spent three days immersed in that world. And she learned about how that business works, what the challenges are, where the resources are, and it was a great way to quickly get off the ground with that. So again, you know, it's it's a process of going through those three steps of self-reflection, exploration, and then testing things out. And what most people find is that when you begin to take action, that's when it leads to opportunity. It, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's only so much that you can accomplish simply by trying to just think this through in your own head. You need to get out there, and when you begin to explore, that's when those you know, moments of serendipity happen and uh, new possibilities open up. I think that's so true. It never quite falls in your lap. You need to be no. taking some steps to get out there. So when do you think it's the best time to start planning for this transition? Yeah, you know, I always say it's never too early to start learning. I think, again, it's important to start reading, talking, you know. it. it, it the more you start to pay attention to this, the more you're going to notice when you suddenly see a story on TV or you read a, an interesting article in a magazine. So I say to people, a really simple thing that you can do is just set up a second act file of ideas on your computer or if you're an old-fashioned paper person, you know, just set up a folder and, and to clip, keep some magazine clippings. And so that way you just sort of, you, it whets your appetite. You begin to learn about what's out there and you don't have to make any decisions at, at, at this point. Mm. Now, realistically, I'd love to, you know, I, or excuse me, theoretically, I'd love to tell you that you should start the process about a year before you retire. Realistically, though, most people just, they're too busy with their jobs. It's, it's hard to do. And the other thing is, you know, there's tremendous value in just taking some time off after you leave that full-time job to just clear your head, recharge your batteries, get away from your normal routine. And, and then when you want to really begin to think about about this in a, in a more structured, conscious way, you're probably probably will be in a better place to do that. So, I, I do have some people, private clients who I've worked with, who start this process a couple of years before they retire. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. So, if people were wanting to start thinking about it while they're still working, any advice on sort of things they could do? Because as you, I think you're absolutely right that. You know, often there's such requirements in terms of working, there's not a whole lot of time to be thinking about it. But if, you know, what what would be, I mean, you, one of your examples, your suggestions, I think is really good of having the, to start making a file of ideas. Are there some other? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in addition to setting up the file, another thing I would say is, you know, these days, uh, getting back to the training, oftentimes uh, uh, you can take a workshop, you know, get, get Take a look at your local continuing ed program. And if you've mm-hmm. always been intrigued, let's say, by, I don't know, jewelry making, go ahead and take a one-day workshop on that. And that's something you can do while you're working is just take the, mm-hmm. the small, uh, the, the very short-term trainings because, again, that can either really get you excited about an idea or you might just say, you know what, uh, I don't think so. And along with that, and, and this is sort of a fun idea, is sometimes you can even take like a, a second-act focused vacation. Mm-hmm. And so we did that recently with my husband. My husband is – he 
absolutely loves cheese. And, you know, but he kept saying, I don't know that I can really ever do anything with this in terms of a second act. And so I discovered there was actually a, a company called, believe it or not, cheesejourneys.com. And we went on a, a wonderful vacation where we explored cheeses through France. And, but we were with a group of about 12 other people, one of whom owned a cheese shop, one of whom writes a cheese blog, another one of whom works for Cowgirl Creamery, which is the, a big cheese uh, place out in San Francisco. These are all people that are immersed in the cheese world, and so it was a really nice opportunity for him to just spend time around those people mm. and find out what are people doing in this world. And there are opportunities to do that on vacation through, you know, lots lots of different outlets. So that that's a fun idea. And, and most importantly, I would say just get the conversations rolling. You know, it's never too early to start having these conversations with your spouse or with some friends about what, what are you thinking? And actually, if people are interested, on my website, I just uh, started offering for people to sign up for my newsletter I put together. It's a free ebook and it's 25 questions to help you identify your ideal second act. I just put that up last week. And there's sort of just 25 thought-provoking questions, and I suggest people, you know, take a couple of them and throw them out over a dinner party, see what comes up. The more you talk about it, as I said, you know, isolation can be a dream killer, so it's really important to have these conversations with people, and you just never know where these conversations can lead. Oh, that's great advice. I, I want to honor the time because I know it's just about one, but I do have more questions. And since you said you could stay, but I, I want to honor the time. And I have to say there have been so many, really a lot of good questions that came up. I think I'm yeah. going to choose Stuart for the the gift. So Stuart, if you send me your email and your, I guess the email would be the best bet. Or do you need an address too? What's what's the best thing for? No, email. Email receipt? is the best bet. Email. Okay. Yep. So if you just send me your email, I think that would be, that was a hard choice to do, but I do want to recommend to everybody, I mean, check out Nancy's website and, and her new program and all these resources that are that are for free. The other, the program does cost, but, and also the second you know, Second Avenue uh, website. But I have a few other Next questions, Avenue. if it's okay. Ne- I, what did I say? Second Avenue. I'm sorry. Next Second Avenue. Avenue. Yes. <laughs> Next, Avenue. Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> Next Avenue website, right. So Ingrid from Mountain View says, stamina or energy to maintain an active life- lifestyle often wanes as we get older. In some ways, I feel I must overexert myself to show I'm still vital, a solid player. What advice would you offer to manage expectations, both for myself and for potential co-workers? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, and I think it's a really, you know, I, I was actually just, just talking about this with my husband yesterday where I said to him, you know, I notice towards the end of the day these days I, I just am more tired than I used to be. So I think lots of people struggle with that issue. And I think it also speaks to why it's so important to do, to find something that you really enjoy doing. Because when you do something that you enjoy doing, we tend to have more energy. And then you also have to, you know, if, if you're currently working full time, I think it is a, it is a challenge. Part of it is you have really have to take a look. I, I know I do this with my work that you have to take a look at your workflow and figure out when your higher energy time 
are, and as much as possible, structure your day so that you handle the tasks, the, the more difficult tasks, at, at the points that you tend to have greater energy. I know I t- always tend to do my writing in the morning, and I do more of the administrative stuff in the afternoon. And so some of it is you have to really examine that for yourself and as as much as possible. And in, in a workplace, that's easier said than done, and I, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. I think, again, wonderful advice. You're filled with wonderful advice today. So Don, Don from Ontario says, I've been writing for niche publications for a few years now and have really improved my style and skill sets. How might I, as a senior, break through with younger editors who offer mainstream, better-paid assignments? Mm. That's a good question. So I would uh, suggest that you go over to my list of Second Act resources, and if you go down towards the bottom, you will see that I have resources specifically for writers because there are a couple of websites that I really love that are for people who want to monetize their writing. And one of them in particular is a site, it's either The Right Life or rightlife.com, I can't remember which one, but she has lots of good ideas on there about how to find those paid writing assignments, which, you know, quite frankly, has, has it's, it's gotten much more difficult. It's a, the whole media world, because of the internet, is in a state of, of transition. Finding those paid writing assignments can be very, very challenging. And so the answer to that question is a much more complicated answer than I can provide now, but if you check some of those websites, they they have some very good advice on that. Great. And here's another suggestion from Sarah uh, from Woodstock who says that if you take a workshop based on your suggestions of taking workshops, that you ask the teacher whom they might know who could give you more information, you know, about the area. And I think that's that's a great suggestion. As part of the yeah. networking, networking. And Penny from New York says she thinks this comment fits so well with what you're talking about. It's opportunities nowhere or opportunities now here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm chuckling because I recently did a presentation where I said that, yeah, the whole idea of looking at, at opportunities as being nowhere or now here is, is the difference mm-hmm. of how you – perceive the situation. So, yeah, I love that. So before we end, can you give people again your website and what's on the website as well as the Next sure. Avenue website? So, you know, yes. people have access So to Next that. Avenue is, just to be clear, it's a PBS website, which means it goes under .org rather than .com. So it's nextavenue.org. And as I said, they have just tremendous content, and I would say that even if I didn't write for them, on a lot of topics that are important to people over the age of 50. And my website is mylifestylecareer.com. And if you go there and you sign up for the newsletter, which comes out twice a month, and it's just a very quick read, you can download my new ebook, which has the 25 questions to help you identify your ideal second act. Great. 
And the resources, that's on the website too, the 100 resources. The resources is on the blog part of the website, so you'll find it there along with lots of other articles and advice. So I definitely encourage people to check out the site. Great. And I must say, as a non-writer for Next Avenue, nextavenue.org has really terrific articles, and Nancy's are are part of them, and there are other ones, too, and I really do recommend it. It's celebrating its sixth year this year, uh, this month, also. Yeah, we are. Uh, I know I had... <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. Right. And it's it's a terrific resource. So I know in your book, oh, mention your book again, too, so people... Sure. And the book the is title Second book. Act careers. And you can get that in bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, etc. Great. And I know in your book, you do tend to, whoops, I have a few more questions here. Let me just see. Oh, Pam Williams just wants, been on the phone and wants to say, hey, she wants to say, I don't know somebody who you know, or she just wants to say hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) And Milton from Brazil says, Congratulations. Great call. So, and I agree. So uh, what I was going to say is you end every chapter in your book with three, three final thoughts. Can you end this interview with three final tips? Sure. Yeah. Well, the first okay. thing I would say is if you are still working is use this time now to really help to build up your network because at the end of the day, whether you end up doing project work or you look for another job or you start your own side gig or, or business, you know, when, when people look for work, they, the statistic is about 80% of, of opportunities are found through networking and, and during this phase, it's probably even more so. So while you're, while you're still working, and people often forget about this because they think that they're at the tail end of their career, but no, use this time now to really bolster your network, to you know, reach out, get people on your LinkedIn, get together with people over lunch and coffee. And it also can be a great way, you know, if, if you're willing to say that you're getting ready to retire, which in some cases people are and some they aren't. But if if you are willing to talk about that, it sometimes can be an interesting way to explore potential opportunities. So that would be the first tip. Second thing sort of going along with that is is don't try to go this alone. Find, as I said, find a buddy, find a group of people. Take a look at, at organizations like the Transition Network. Again, that's on my resource list where you can meet some other people going through the same thing at the same time and I think you'll find that will really help to ease your way. And the third is just a reminder to sign up for the newsletter so that you can get the steady diet of, of Second Act inspiration, and, and that's helpful no matter where you are at this point in the journey. Absolutely. And I realized, although I was going to have you have the final word, I'm going to let you have the final word again, but I did just get from Stuart, who said that he already has bought your great toolkit. So oh, so that's true. You know, I was another wondering about person. that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, and Sarah just offered another little thought, which is an important one, which is, and don't forget that as long as you work, you can increase your Social Security payment, which is, absolutely. I think, yeah. a good point on that. No, I was Go just going to add to that. I think that that's a great point. And the other thing I would add is while you're still working, if you have access to training that's offered through your company, take advantage of it. So now that I've gone on a little bit more, I just want to thank you so much. This has just been wonderful. I think just filled with so many great tips and advice. And 
to let you be able to have the final last word, though. Any final additional tip, even though I said three? Do you have a fourth one that you'd like to, <laughs> to add? <laughs> yeah. I, no, I think we've covered a lot of territory today, and hopefully this has helped to get people excited about the possibilities. And so, again, I would emphasize my earlier point that, that the more you immerse yourself in this, the more you're going to just discover all sorts of opportunities and options and pathways that you didn't know existed before. So consider this your first step and just want to wish everybody well as they continue on with their personal journeys. Well, thank you. And thank you so much, Nancy, for taking the time today and going over a little bit with us, too. And and again, I want to encourage people to get Nancy's book, to check out her website, to check out the Next Avenue articles. And thank you again for being here. So thanks, everybody. My pleasure. Great fun. Great. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.